This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Earners, what's up? Look, today I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind, a real weight on my shoulders. You know, we all have these moments, big or small, that just stick with us. When we don't talk about these things, then they can start to affect our lives in unexpected ways. That's why having a space to express these feelings is so important. I know firsthand the benefits of therapy. It's been transformative for my friends and family. Therapy can help you learn crucial skills like setting boundaries and developing coping strategies. It's not just about dealing with major events. It's also about enhancing your day-to-day life, allowing you to become the best version of yourself. So if you've been thinking about therapy, BetterHelp can be a great option for you. It's entirely online, which makes it super convenient and adaptable to your busy schedule. You start by filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can even switch therapists at any time if you feel the need without any additional cost. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash EarnYourLeisure today to get 10% off your first month. Remember, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash EarnYourLeisure. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Head over there now. Earners, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. All right. So we have a very special guest today, the Honorable Stacey Abrams. So if you are not familiar with her, I'm assuming that you don't own a television or (laughs) perhaps you don't have a cell phone or you don't listen to radio. Um, Yes. Or you might not have taken part in last election. Yes, yes. Maybe. Many many people credit her with um, Joe Biden's victory because she was very intricate in delivering Georgia, which is that the first time ever that that's happened or the first time in a lot of years? First time in a long time. 40? Yeah, about 40 years. First time in 40 years that uh, Georgia went Democrat. Um, But now she has aspirations of her own. She ran last time and lost by a very thin margin. So it's a neck and neck battle right now um, to become the, the, 
our governor of Georgia, mm-hmm. which is the most powerful position in the state. Mm-hmm. And um, that will be the first time in a very long time also. And I believe the first time ever that a black woman would be the, the governor of Georgia. I'm pretty sure that's never happened before. Um, so this is a historical moment that we're in right now from a political side. This is a financial platform. So we have questions about the finance and about, you know, the business side of things because it's important. And I think that we have a uh, journalistic responsibility to talk to people that are in position of power or that could potentially be in very high positions of power. And especially a state like Georgia, where Atlanta, we just did Invest Fest, over 13,000 people. You actually gave a, a, a message that we played on the, on the big screen. Thank you for that. Um, but, you know, Atlanta and Georgia is, is, is our second home and um, one of our biggest markets. So it's, an, it's vitally important that, you know, we have this conversation. So first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yes, yeah. yes. It's very rare that we have royalty here with us. And so, <laughs> yes. we, again, we appreciate you in the event. My, my, my parents were talking to me about it after. They were like, oh, my God, is she backstage? Can we see? I'm like, mom, <laughs> it's, it's a video. She's like, oh, my God, please. I'm like, it's a video. Yes. But thank you again. <laughs> so it was my honor. So, so we'll get into this um, conversation. I guess we can just do how we usually do. We all just ask questions. So um, the first question that I have is, uh, you know, a lot of times from the business side of things, right? So a lot of times people say that politicians don't understand business because they they were career politicians and they stifle business and they hurt business. Um, but you're actually an entrepreneur. And you have a variety of different businesses. So what are some things that you've learned from entrepreneurship that you think, um, you know, has helped you or can potentially help you in running a very important uh, state like Georgia in in politics? Well, the first business that I started wasn't technically considered a business. I wrote a novel when I was in law school and had to sell it during my first year as an attorney. And that taught me about marketing, but also taught me about market research. This was at the beginning of Amazon, and I had to figure out a way to break through with a black authored romance novel, which was really rare at the time to get black women, basically for black women to be published as romance novelists by big platforms. And so I needed to be the number one selling book that day. So I got all of the people I'd ever met (laughs) to buy from Amazon on the exact same day. And that catapulted me and people started asking about my book. Now, it didn't last very long because some other book came out the next day. But that moment was thinking about how do you harness, if you don't have the platforms people are used to, how do you use the networks that you do have to develop your marketing approach? The second business I started was a consulting firm. And that was really about how do you chase business? How do you get people to hire you when what you're selling is your mind? And different from a commodities company where you're able to sell while you sleep, you've got to be awake for consulting to work. And so that's really about how do you offer a differentiated product that people understand. And then my latest company was a company called, is a company called Now Account. I'm no longer day to day with it, but that's a financial services company because I know that one of the impediments I faced in another business was access to capital. And that's something that small businesses face all the time. And in particular in Georgia, because we lost more banks than any other state during the Great Recession, and Black-owned businesses have the least amount of access because we lost so many banks. Access to capital is the difference between success and failure, because it's not just about operating capital, it's being able to even know where to go 
and having someone trust that it's worth risking. When you bring that to the governor's office, it's about making sure we're creating programs that actually address these challenges. How do we market our small businesses? We do a great job of championing big companies, but how do we market our small businesses? Two, how do we solve the challenges of those small businesses that are completely and totally driven by their by their owner, by their entrepreneur? How do you bolster them and make sure they can do what they need? And then three, how do we make certain that we're underwriting the financial risk so that those small businesses get the capital they need to succeed? Yeah, I love that you keep talking about small businesses because that's one of the reasons we love Georgia and we love Atlanta. When we go there, we see businesses and we see people that look like us owning businesses and we see men and we see tons of women and entrepreneurs creating their own businesses. And so you also brought up programs. Can you talk to us about the Georgia Commercial Investment Program? Because this is one of those things like how do we get capital? Where are we getting it from? How do we deploy it? Can you talk to us about that? Sure. So there are two pieces to what I want to do. One is I want to expand the purchasing power of the state. Uh, there was a report just yesterday on a local uh, television station about the fact that in Georgia, just this past year, uh, more than $7 billion in contracts were let. Less than 7% went to minority-owned and women-owned firms. And you always have to be suspicious of that number because it's different. It's different to be a person of color than it is to be a woman. And having you know been both my entire life, I understand the different treatment that exists. But even if you combine both of those, it's less than, it's only 7.7% of the contracting that we know of. People of color are 48% of the state. To only have 7% of the contracts is absurd. And so one thing the governor can do without legislation is use Georgia's purchasing power to support small businesses by directing the Department of Administrative Services to establish and monitor targets to make certain that all the state agencies are actually purchasing intentionally from minority owned small businesses and also providing the technical assistance so those small businesses can actually secure and fulfill those state contracts. But the other part of that is what I call my commercial invest, my small business uh, capital investment fund, which is $10 million that would then allow those same small businesses to do, if they have to go and buy initial equipment to take the contract on, let's give you the money and underwrite your loan to get that contract. Hmm. Because if you get that contract, $50,000 should not stop you from making 5 million. But for a lot of small businesses, that's the, it's the point of entry that's so expensive. In contrast, my current the current governor is going to establish a study to look at whether or not this is a problem. You don't have to study Georgia to understand that it is a problem when 48% of your population only gets 7% of your business. And that's the conversation that's happened every year for the last 20 years. Governor after governor says, well, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll study it. They won't move legislation to solve it. Mm. Well, as governor, you solve the problem because I don't need legislation. I can do it directly. And there was something you said at the opening. I not only will be the first black governor of Georgia, I'll be the first black woman governor in American history. Wow. And so I'm bringing to this conversation not only the skills, but a very strong sense of urgency around solving this problem, because if we don't tackle it, it will be 100 years, not not 10, not 20, 100 years before we close the gap between minority-owned businesses and non-minority firms in the state of Georgia. Uh, tying into that point, after your victory, let's speak that into existence, um, what, what initiatives will be put in place to help close that racial wealth gap? And because Atlanta is such a mecca for African-American and African-American entrepreneurs, 
in the state of Georgia is amazing. What plans can entrepreneurs look forward to that you'll put in place that will help so, us close that gap? Absolutely. So the commercial investment program is a big one because the state spends billions of dollars on a range of things. So it's not just construction contracts for DOT. It's who's providing food at events that the state is doing. It's who's doing janitorial services, who is providing the paper. All of those purchases are purchases that the state can direct. And so the Georgia Commercial Investment Program is part of it. But the other part is the Supplier Diversity Initiative. And that is, I'm going to make certain that state agencies, all of them, when they procure goods and services, that they have to actively seek out and support new suppliers that are owned by groups that are un underrepresented. And that includes people of color, veterans, the disabled, women, but all of those groups have to be given primacy. And because in Georgia, those groups often overlap, by targeting these communities, we actually hit the broadest swath of possibilities. I also wanna make certain that major state contractors have to implement their own programs for mm -hmm. supplier diversity. Why should the state contract with someone who is not looking at the whole state as viable? And then the last big thing for me is what I call cluster contracts. So you have these big companies that bid on these major contracts, billion dollar contracts. If you're a small company, if you can, you can't bite off a billion dollars, but you could do about 200 million. Right now, you're not permitted to participate. Instead, they give it to the big company and they tell the big company, oh, give them 10%. The 10% rarely materializes or it always goes to the same small company they've always given it to. I want to create what I call cluster contracts, letting two or three or four businesses come together to bid on that contract. So you have four companies that instead of all trying to compete for this $1 billion contract, they instead get 150 million, 250, 350 of that contract, but they can all grow at the same time mm -hmm. and they're hiring new people. And when you combine that with the Small Business Investment Fund that can underwrite the capital risk and you're directing technical assistance to make sure they can actually participate in the process, because if you've ever tried to bid on a state contract or even a city contract, procurement's hard. Yeah. I was the lawyer for one of the lawyers for procurement at the city of Atlanta. And so for me, it's not just about what I know as an entrepreneur. It's also what I know as someone who's been on the delivery side of government, not just running for office, but actually having to do the work of making it happen. And so those are three big opportunities. I'm talking billions of dollars that can suddenly be in the hands and in the pockets of people of color, of black people in particular, because we're 33 percent of the population. We're 2.1 percent of the business revenue in Georgia. Mm. So let me ask you this um, for education. I saw you was talking to a little baby the other day and you was kind of educating him on um, why governor is so important. Can you just explain? So there's no black governors currently, right? Correct. All right. So there's no black governors, governors currently in, in America. And from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong. The reason why that's such a, a, a big issue and the reason why the governor is so important is that the governor is really the most powerful person in the state because they control budgets. They control a lot of the state issues, even more so than state representatives or senators. And the president um, doesn't really have power on a state level. This is why, like COVID is so many different rules exactly. depending on which yeah. which state you're in. So can you give us an education on why? the governor is so important and why people need to pay more attention to who their governor is? Absolutely. So let's, let's think about it this way. When we think about the structure of government, we have been trained to focus on the president because that's the most powerful job in the nation. 
And for black and brown people, it's also been incredibly important because states have often refused to acknowledge our citizenship and our humanity. So let's give, I'll use three examples. Stand your ground, the law that killed Trayvon Martin, that wasn't federal law. That was signed by the governor of Florida. That's how stand your ground became. But once it happens in a state, it spreads like a contagion. So now you've got stand your ground in Georgia and everywhere else. Number two, mass incarceration did not start with the 94 crime bill. Three strikes you're out was actually done by the governor of California in 1994. The federal government decided to follow, but it started with the governor. And Jim Crow, the stripping black people of humanity for 150 years, never had a single federal law. It was all state laws signed by governors. And so when we think about how our lives are lived, we think about the presidency because it's national or the mayor because it's hyper-local. But all the money that comes from the federal government comes through the state, the governor decides. All of the things your mayor wants to do in the South, especially in Georgia, has to be approved by, if it's a big program, it has to be approved by the governor. One example is that in, 20, in 2003, I worked for Shirley Franklin. We, I wrote the first living wage law in the history of the state of Georgia. It would have guaranteed that any company doing business in Georgia had to pay a living wage. It could have transformed the economies of thousands of Georgians. We got that legislation through the city council, the mayor signed it, and the following January, the governor signed a law making it illegal for any city to pass a law guaranteeing a wage. That's what the state does. If you're worried about housing, the governor has to sign legislation that says that it's a, that local government has the authority to actually enforce housing rules and make sure that you can afford to live in the home that you live in. But for business owners, where the governor is so incredibly important is that most of the decisions we think have to be made by committee in Georgia gets made by the governor. Right now, the governor of Georgia is spending billions of dollars. Every time you hear him announce money that's being, uh, that COVID money that's being spent, he doesn't have to ask a single person for permission. Mm. He decides by himself with whomever he decides to bring in the room, how he wants to spend that money. So the question is, whose name do you want to have on the checkbook? Someone who does not believe in investing in communities of color, someone who has never demonstrated any interest until it was election year, or someone who has come up the hard way through our business community and through our city and state who has the knowledge and experience, but also now the authority to get good done. And the shorthand is imagine Maynard Jackson and what he did for Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Imagine if he had been governor of Georgia. That's the kind mm -hmm. of governor I could be. Wow. Yeah. So in order to have the right governor, you have to mobilize people to vote. And one of the things that you did in general election, and rightfully so, you were credited with helping win Georgia and ultimately win in general election for uh, Biden, was getting people out. Um, but when you get people out in numbers, certain things start to change and you start to see more voter suppression and you see more voter uh, discrimination. So my question to you is like, what do we do now? Right. It feels like we have to press the reset to make sure that people understand the influence and impact that this is going to have. And so is there education around it? How are we telling the, the, the people, the, the population of Georgia, like, hey, there are some changes. Here's what you need to know before you go out. Well, most of my entrepreneurship has focused on business oriented things because I, I grew up poor. I didn't like it and don't ever want to do it again. Uh, and <laughs> I, I, I like being able to take care of myself and take care of my family. But I've also been very aggressive about nonprofit work.
and civic work. So I created the New Georgia Project. I'm no longer affiliated with it, but I launched the New Georgia Project in 2013. That's the organization that did a lot of the work on getting people registered. I created Fair Fight, which is the work that we've been doing to make sure that we have fair voting laws, or if the laws are not fair, that we know why they're not fair and we fight back. I created the organization Fair Count. Fair Count made certain that we had an accurate census for the first time in 30 years, actually counting black and brown folks. And it was the first year in almost 30 years we did not have a statistical undercount. And that matters to businesses because the money that comes to the state through the SBA and through all of these different grants and loans, it's all based on the accurate count of the people in your state. So when black people get undercounted, we also get under-resourced. So those are the groups I've started. And part of what all of those groups are doing, independent of me, independent of my campaign, but they are embedded in community, making sure people understand what the voting laws are, what changed, what stayed the same, and why it matters. Separately, our campaign is doing that same work through our voter protection efforts. That's why we're urging people to vote early. We get three weeks of voting in Georgia starting October 17th. Because of how difficult these new laws are, because of the hurdles that Brian Kemp and Brad Raffsenberger have put in place, do not get distracted by the fact that they didn't commit treason. The same time they were not committing treason, they were also putting in more voter suppression laws. And because of those new voter suppression laws, we need folks to vote early to get it out of the way. In Georgia, we have the number one likelihood of having long lines in black communities, up to eight hours. Mm. And so if we want people to be able to vote, we need to get our votes baked. We need to get it done and get on with our lives. And that means voting as much as possible, as early as possible. And when I say as much as possible, I mean getting as many people as possible. <laughs> Nobody should vote more than once. No, I don't well, want I anyone to take me out of context. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, what words of encouragement do you have uh, for the citizens of Georgia who may feel as if no matter what they do, if they vote early, or they bring friends with them, it won't have an impact on the outcome. I have proven that it matters. In 2018, I didn't become governor by 54,723 votes. That's two concerts. Exactly. (laughs) That's two concerts. And there were enough people. Now, there were a lot of people who tried to vote who weren't allowed to participate in our elections. But there were a lot more people who didn't think their voices mattered. And it's a truism, but if your voice didn't matter, they wouldn't be working so hard to stop you from being heard. That's true. But the other part of it is, and and it's a legitimate critique, for a lot of folks, they've never seen their lives change. It didn't really matter who got elected because their lives stayed the same. You've never had anyone like me running for office. What I like to describe is not what I did before I ran, but when I didn't win, I still made sure that I helped pay off the medical debt of 68,000 Georgians, especially people who want to start their own businesses, because we know that medical debt often stops you from being able to do anything. I made sure that people got access to the COVID vaccine. I started at a company that was moving millions of dollars to small businesses. I made sure that if you were on EBT when you weren't getting the stimulus checks, that we got a $1,000 check written to a bunch of families across Georgia who weren't getting the money they needed. That's what I do when I don't have the job. Imagine what I would do if I had the job. So I'm not asking people to forget what they know. I'm asking them to believe what they see. Yes, the current governor reopened the state, but he also also passed a law making it illegal for anyone who got harmed, any essential worker, to sue their boss for not having protection. 
We have one of the highest rates of death from COVID in the nation. And so, yes, some people benefited, but most of our businesses didn't get a dime of PPP. He got money. He gave a $694 million contract to his friends for giving him money in his campaign. My mission has been and always will be, how do you invest in people to make sure they thrive? Because I've been at the bottom and I don't, I don't wanna be there and I don't think anyone else needs to be there. If you're willing to work for it, my mission is to work with you, but I've got to get the job first. And that's why I need folks to show up. Uh, let me ask you this. Something that's very um, hot in the news. Joe Biden's president Biden's plan um, to uh, get rid of student loans for $10,000. Um, if you make under $125,000 a year and $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients for the same income threshold. So it's kind of controversial. Of course, um, some people are saying that, you know, they don't want to pay for somebody else's college education is uh, government handouts, different things of that nature. Um, some people are saying that it's not enough money um, It's not fully really going to impact um, black America in a way that it should because it's not enough. What is your thoughts on a student loan crisis and what is your thoughts on what he proposed and what are some ideas that that you have? So I, I begin with my faith values. I don't begrudge another person's blessing. Mm. That $10,000, that $20,000 can be the difference between someone else's child being able to get an education and rise out of poverty. That can be the difference between someone being able to take care of their family member who has cancer. I want people to be able to have those blessings. And I paid off my student loans. I paid them off in January of 2019. I know the, the relief I felt, but I also know the burden I carried mm. for years when I indeed had to make choices between paying my student loans and taking care of my family. And so I don't begrudge a person getting access to those resources. It of course is not enough because we have a broken system in this country. When my parents were going through college, even though they weren't able to fully leverage it because they were they grew up during Jim Crow, those the ability to go to college was not the difference between your future and not having a future, but it also wasn't mortgaging your future. And so we have to tackle the broken nature of student debt in, this, in the United States. But this is an important start and it is more than we had the day before. And that's critical to me. But what we have to layer on top of it is the fact that for many black and for a lot of black folks, that money is going to matter because we are more likely to finish, to be in debt, but not have the degree to go with it. And so while it is not enough, it is more than we have and it is substantial because we're also more likely to qualify for the 20,000 than the 10,000 because more of our people are in that bracket where we were also relying on Pell Grants. And I say we, cause I was. Mm -hmm. But what I wanna do for Georgia is layer on top of that by making sure we're not creating a deeper hole. And that's why I wanna restore free technical college in the state of Georgia. Once the Hope Scholarship was created between the creation of the Hope Scholarship and 2011, technical college was free. Because we had to save the Hope Scholarship from economic ruin, we had to decrease the award for what was called the Hope Grant. But we now have a billion dollars sitting in an unrestricted, unreserved fund that could be used right now mm. to do exactly what we used to do. And that helps a lot of black and brown folks, especially a lot of black folks throughout the state of Georgia. So I wanna restore that. Number two, I want to create need-based aid in Georgia. 
Georgia is one of only two states in the country that does not provide need-based aid, the only one in the South, which means if you want to see your way to college, you better not have a C average. That should not be the choice. And for Black students in Georgia, Black students are the least likely to get hope and the most likely to lose hope. But if we had need-based aid, we could fill in the gap. That, when you tie that to what's happening on the federal level, creates new opportunity. But the way to pay for it is critical. And that is that I want to use that unrestricted money that we already have, but I also want to expand gaming in Georgia, sports betting Mm -hmm. and casinos. That would generate $350 million a year upwards in order to invest in that education. And since it is our people who are spending money in the lottery, but we are the least likely to see the benefit, let's make certain that if we're going to have gaming, that our people benefit from that process. And that's my plan as the next governor. Yeah, I'm glad that we brought up education and obviously free technical schools and teaching people skills are very important. Uh, one of the things that are near and dear to me, and I'm glad you brought it up, was increasing the pay for teachers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, increasing the pay for teachers is the most important job in the world. Everybody was taught and everybody learned at, at some point throughout their life. They definitely went to school. So can you talk about that? Because I know that was one of the things that, that you've been talking about uh, throughout your campaign, increasing the pay for teachers, but also lowering the cost for health care for over 500,000 Georgians. Can you talk about how we get to that point? Absolutely. So in Georgia, we pay teachers who are starting out less than they make in Mississippi. Now I grew up in Mississippi. That that doesn't make any sense. That Mississippi can afford to pay more, but Georgia can't. My opponent, the current governor has said that he gave them $5,000 over four years and that's enough. I will tell you, it's not enough because in real dollar terms, teachers today make less money than they made 20 years ago. So the purchasing power of that dollar is less. I want to right size their salaries by making sure that the starting salary in Georgia by the end of my term is $50,000. And at the same time, I want to increase pay for all educators by an average of $11,000. That means that we really truly create a meaningful change in their wages that is sustainable. I also want to make certain we're giving that same, we're giving similar pay raises, although it's gotta be done a little differently because they're paid by the school district and not by the state, but we need to increase pay for paraprofessionals, for school bus drivers, for cafeteria workers. You shouldn't work to educate our children and still be in poverty. Hmm. That doesn't make any sense. And it is a solvable problem. At the same time, we know the other biggest driver of economic need and economic paucity in, in, in Georgia, and the best way to to financial freedom is having insurance. Right now, health insurance is being denied to people who are making $9 an hour or less. And when you are starting your own small business, you probably can't afford health insurance for yourself, let alone for your employees. Well, in Georgia, we are forfeiting $3.5 billion every year that we've already paid for, but that the governor refuses to bring to the state. If we expand Medicaid, working people who make too much money to qualify for regular Medicaid, because for regular Medicaid, you got to be not only completely broke, but you also have to have a dependent or be disabled or be a senior. Or you have to be able to buy into the Affordable Care Act, buy into Obamacare, and you have to make a a, not a lot, but a a lot more money than those making nine dollars an hour do. I want to get that population. Those are our students who are finishing college, but they they aren't on their parents' insurance and they need insurance. And if we ever thought that you didn't need insurance if you were young, let's think about COVID. Let's think about monkeypox. 
But I also want those folks who are starting their business, who want to quit their job but can't afford to leave because they can't afford to lose their health insurance. And so their dreams die because they can't afford to go. If we expand Medicaid, we can do all of that. And we can pay for both of these things. Medicaid is $297 million a year. And to overall do the salary increases is $400 million. We have a $5 billion surplus in Georgia. Once we paid every bill, once we have put money into our savings account, 15%, once we've accounted for growth in population, we have five to $6 billion just sitting there. My opponent says that he wants to do tax cuts. What he means is he wants to give tax breaks to the wealthiest Georgians because the average Georgian will see $193. The wealthiest Georgians will see $10,000 or more. I want to instead pay our teachers, pay for health and healthcare, save the Atlanta Medical Center, keep doctors in our state, invest in small businesses, all of the things I'm talking about. He wants to give the money to the wealthy. I wanna spend the money on the people. And we can do every single thing I'm talking about without raising a dime in taxes. And if you don't trust me, go to my website. I'm a big old nerd. We have a, web, we have a spreadsheet on my website that walks you through how the math works. We can absolutely do this. I remember in 2007, I was in Midtown when the last big recession hit, driving to Norcross and remembering how fearful I was about when the recession was going to end. Tying to your last point, can you talk to us about the dangers of the economy in Georgia and how it would be impacted negatively if you don't win um, as governor and some of the things your opponent plans to do and plans to cut uh, if he wins? So let's look back to what he did before Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff, and our Democrats in Congress sent billions of dollars to the state of Georgia. He slashed $1 billion from education. He cut the criminal justice reform programs, the recidivism programs, the diversion programs. He cut resources for education, for health care. His response to need is not to solve the problem, it's to blame the victim. He wants to pick your pockets instead of putting money in your pockets. Now, he likes to talk broadly about who he benefits, but if you look at the numbers, the people who were falling are still falling. The people who are holding on are holding on by their fingernails, and he refuses to invest in their success. Let's look at housing. Georgia has an affordable housing crisis. We're only the eighth largest state, but we are number three in eviction filings and number four in actual evictions. And this isn't just Atlanta, this is across the state. I was down in Thomasville and they wanted to talk about the eviction rate down there. So this is a statewide issue. Well, the governor's response is to spend $62 million on homelessness programs. He will not invest in actually building the 207,000 units of affordable housing that we need. He will not work with our local governments to let them right size rent and inclusionary zoning and so the current governor does not believe it's his job to help Georgia. His job is to have the, the headlines, not to read the fine print. Mm. My mission is the fine print. And if we have a recession, if we have taken that $5 billion and just given it to the wealthy, then everybody else is going to pay for it because that's what happens every single time. Right. But if we keep that money, it's like making a balloon payment on your mortgage. We can put in a balloon payment for the state that helps build all of these things I'm talking about. So if something does happen, we've already built it into the budget. 
We're no longer paying extraordinary interest. We're just paying principal. That's what this could be used for. I want to do a balloon payment for Georgia so that if we get hit by a recession, our natural resources, the money we're going to make no matter what, will be enough to cover everything I'm talking about without raising taxes. But also we won't dip so low because we're suddenly seeing catastrophic effects on the poorest people because all of us pay the bill. Poverty isn't free. Yeah. All of us pay for it. And I'm the only person with the plan to make sure we do enough upfront that when it hits, we're ready for it and we can all get through it. Can you talk about the um, supplier diversity initi- initiative that you're proposing? Yeah. yeah. So part of the supplier diversity initiative is that the state spends billions of dollars every single year buying services. Right now, you'll hear some folks who can get the janitorial service or they'll get hired to provide paper. I want to make sure we're also hiring lawyers, that we're hiring uh, financiers, that we're hiring from every strata. But I also want to make certain it's not just certain departments. The Department of Aging has to buy something. Let's make sure they're buying from people who look like Georgia. When the Department of Behavioral Health has to hire, let's make certain when they are buying and purchasing, no matter which agency it is, they need to be looking at the diversity of their supply chain, especially DOT. DOT is going to get billions of dollars every year now because of the bipartisan infrastructure plan. That Those billions of dollars right now are going 90% to majority-owned firms, not to minority-owned firms. These are billions of dollars that we help bring here because we participated in these elections and we are half of the state. The same thing is true with the Infrastructure Reduction Act, the Inflation Reduction Act. The Inflation Reduction Act is going to send billions to the state of Georgia. But right now, there's nothing to say that businesses of color, that black businesses get any of those contracts. And the response from the governor is, he'll look at it. Well, they've been looking at this for 40 years. They've never managed to do anything. I say hire somebody who's actually proven she'll do the work. Ah, royalty, royalty, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Stacey Abrams. Uh, when when in January, when we you've won the seat, I, I'm interested in knowing because I'm sure you have it planned out. What are the first 30 days look like? What what initiatives are you putting in place right away? What are some things that you're going to overturn that, you know, are not going to work for the state anymore? Number one, my first initiative is Medicaid expansion. Mm. Medicaid expansion is the single largest economic development program in Georgia history. If you think about Rivian, he's going to spend about one point five billion dollars to build electric cars. And that's good. And that's going to create thousands of jobs, but it's going to be localized in Monroe County. It's going to be localized to those who can get jobs in that industry. If we expand Medicaid, we create 64,000 jobs across the state. And here's the way to think about it. The jobs are going where the people who don't have insurance are. So Mm. it's going to absolutely get to every part of the state. And it's going to get to the communities in the state that have not had access because those are the folks who suddenly are going to have the health insurance they need to get mental health care, to get physical health care. And when those new doctors come in, they're going to need to go eat somewhere. So somebody who started their small restaurant, they're going to suddenly have customers. We're going to need pharmacists. We're going to need construction. Medicaid expansion is number one. Number two, I'm going to repeal criminal carry. We know that that law has made Georgia less safe. And particularly for black men, I want you all to think about what that law means. By removing that permit, That means if you get pulled over, you don't get the presumption that you have the right to carry that concealed weapon and you can't pull out your permit to show them that it's yours. You are presumed guilty 
by and large, if that happens. And that's mm. the worry I have. But it's also true that we've got stories right now of people wandering down the street by our schools, open carrying weapons. We have removed the background checks that used to happen with private sales and gun sales. That's what that constitutional carry, which is a lie, what criminal carry did was strip away a background check that protected us from 11,000 people who shouldn't have had those weapons. Number three, I'm going to repeal the ban on abortion after six weeks. And this should matter to every person, whether, you whether you're a woman or not. Because in the state of Georgia, women are now told you have to decide about your pregnancy before you know you're pregnant. And this has economic effects across the board. And in particular, black women are most likely to die from maternal mortality issues than any other race. And it is worse in Georgia than it is in any other state. Wow. And Brian Kemp is refusing to act. And in fact, he said he's going, to, he doesn't believe there should be exemptions for rape or incest. We have to understand that when a woman is forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy to term, the likelihood of her going into poverty increases, I think, by four by 40%. The likelihood of her being on food stamps within four years or within five years goes up dramatically. This has a real economic effect, but it also is costing us jobs. The gun law cost us $50 million because Music Midtown is not here in Georgia. Mm. We, I know Antoine Fuqua pulled a movie out of Georgia with the when the voting rights law came through. Think about all of the different um, films that won't come to Georgia because women are like, I'm not coming here because I don't know what's going to happen to me on a year-long shoot. We are risking a $4 billion industry. And for people who say, well, no, we're all set. We've got Perry Studios and we've got, you know, the studio in, in Fayetteville. Let's remember, Georgia got the film industry by taking it from Michigan and from North Carolina when they got Republicans. Y'all may not be old enough to remember Dawson's Creek, but I remember when yeah. everything we saw on TV was filmed in North Carolina. Absolutely. What happened? They got a Republican governor who started doing very hardcore right wing things and the money and the business left. If we don't think it can leave Georgia, we're not paying attention. I truly think you can be a linchpin for not only a change in Georgia, but throughout the United States of America. What are the three things we can do and our audience can do to support you to make sure that you win? Number one, talk about this conversation. There's a notion that there is an enthusiasm. It's not that there's no enthusiasm. It's that people don't trust. Mm. We've had a long six years <laughs> and people are just, they're exhausted. But I need folks to understand the importance of what a governor can do and how it can change the future of our state. And so number one, I need you to talk to your friends, your family about this race and about why this race matters. Number two, I need you to make a plan to vote. Don't think, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote. Write it down. Make a plan because life happens. Yeah. And when life happens, I lose <laughs> if y'all haven't made a plan. So make a plan to vote. And then number three, go to our website and sign up. Be a volunteer. If you, We can use all the help we can get because part of it is reaching the people who don't know that they should be listening to this amazing podcast, who don't know that they have a chance to start their own business, who don't understand what their real opportunities could look like if there was a governor who saw them as opportunity and not as a burden. My mm. mission is for every Georgian to thrive. And that's not a slogan. That's a mission statement. Everything I have done in my life is geared towards lifting our communities up. 
And so if you will sign up to work with our campaign, if you're an influencer, if you're creative, if you are someone who has four minutes off and you want to make a few phone calls for us or knock some doors in your neighborhood, whatever it is, if you go to stacyabrams.com slash volunteer, we can use you. We need your help because we can win this race. And this is the last thing I'll say about it. You're going to see a lot in the polls. The polls are based on the last election. They look at the model from what happened before. The way we win, the way I've won three, Two, three different races, mm-hmm. Biden's race, Warnock's race, Ossoff's race, is by thinking about what's possible. If business owners only ever did what was already done, we'd never have entrepreneurship. True. My mission is to think about what we can create. And we can create an electorate that is so electrified and so engaged that the numbers can't see them until we show up. And that's what I need you guys to help me do. Mm. Thank you. It's been an honor and pleasure. When, when is the election day? It, the election is on November 8th, but early voting starts on no, October 6th. Sorry, October 17th is the start of early voting. Election day is November 8th. Make a plan to vote. Vote as early as you can. And let's get this done. Yeah, listen, if, 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 little, if little baby's not available, you have our number. Call. <laughs> We're there for you. <laughs> thank you. I'm going to remind y'all y'all said that. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, thank you. Um, keep up the great work and um, yes, feel free to come back whenever you would like. Yeah, thank you so much. Honor. And thank, thank you for you what for you all time. do. It truly matters. Uh, thank you. I appreciate, appreciate you. that. Thank you. Take care. Wow. Everyone right now, write down a date in the chat for when you're going to go vote. Please write a date down. That was an amazing conversation. Yeah. Very rare. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to have those conversations um, and people can make a decision for themselves. I personally want to kind of stay apolitical because I think we have we have a journalistic responsibility not to necessarily pick a candidate, um, mm-hmm. but I definitely like her for sure. But I just think it's our responsibility to um, deliver the information. And she's, she's a very important person and mm-hmm. she's she could potentially be one of the most important people in the world, world mm-hmm. leader. Um, Absolutely. Like I said, the, the, the governor, governors have a lot of power, but especially a state like Georgia, which is has the largest airport in America, uh, thriving economy, Atlanta, variety of different things. So if you're if you're the governor of the state of Georgia, you're one of the most powerful people in America. And if you're one of the most powerful people in America, you're one of the most powerful people in, in the world. So that's 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 impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, I just strongly encourage everybody to just be more politically active mm-hmm. because it comes down to business and this is a business show investing show but it all it's all um related and all ties so in, you know sure. you talk about politics especially on a local level so your governor your town supervisor your mayor your town clerk all of that stuff is important so you should you know you should you should participate in the political process i'm not going to tell you who to vote for mm-hmm. i'm not going to tell you which party to vote for but I think that you should be engaged and I think that you should participate um, because if you don't, there's still going to be elections. Somebody's still going to win and they're still going to have a say over, you know, you and your family's life on a certain level as far as, um, you know, different policies and different things of that nature. So it's important to, to be aware and to participate. Yeah, I think you, you said it right. Politically uh, active, but also politically aware. Right. So we know Stacey Abrams is running for the governor of Georgia, but there's plenty of people who don't live in Georgia who have no idea who's running for governor in their own state or who's running for the local official in their own city or town supervisor in their own town. And so just being aware of these things 
can alleviate a lot, right? Once you're mm-hmm. aware, now you can educate yourself. Now you can make a decision. It's one of those things in teaching. It was like, I'm never going to, especially in health, I would always tell kids, like, I'm never going to tell you what to do or what not to do. I'm going to give you all the information I know as, as much as possible. Yeah. And I'll let you make your own decision because that's what's going to happen anyway. You're going to make your own decision. So, um, yeah, man, political awareness and activeness. I think a lot of times people in business don't think about the ramifications of the political landscape, but from entrepreneurs, and business owners, I want you to look at this as if, like, honestly, disbursement of capital from governments was originally the first venture capital firms. So the same way you would know about Andreessen Horowitz, the same way you would know about a lot of companies in Silicon Valley, you have to know what's going on in the political process. Even for me, when I moved to Texas, it was like no state income tax. And I was living in Colorado. I'm like, I need to make an adjustment because I can project future earnings. So I think we need to put a little bit more focus on that political process, how money is dispersed and what's happening in. Shout out to Spike Lee zooming in on me. I don't know. It's kind of wave feature. I don't know. I got to figure out like this magic wand thing. Um, but for the close up, um, we have to f- figure out the process and make it a part of our business metrics because sometimes we may have to move to another state or be aware of what's coming in the pipeline. So it's incredibly important for you to be aware of this political process, even though you may not think it has an effect on your business. It definitely does. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.